This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County and Greg Tucker. Good morning, Truman. You've been doing some traveling. Oh, I just want to let you know, did you see my socks this morning? I hadn't inspected your socks this morning. He's holding his, oh my goodness, that looks familiar. Yeah. <laughs> this is a present from the Tuckers. Yeah. It's it's my Tennessee, which is amazing since you guys were both Vanderbilt graduates. Uh, well, we want to indulge you with a little pair of orange socks that only you would wear. <laughs> <laughs> well, what went on this last weekend? Because I hear you've been traveling around the mid-state area. Well, uh, a very close and dear friend, Earl Lahue, and it always sounds curious to me to call him that because his nickname is Moose. Yeah. I always refer to, to Moose. Mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that he enjoyed the Amish store up in uh, Warren County. So I said something to him about, and well, next time you're going up that way, give me a call. I'll, I'll drive you up. I'd like to see it. So we went up there last week, and uh, it is a very interesting uh, afternoon drive. And uh, my wife uh, said she'd like to visit. So on Saturday, we made another visit and then drove, I guess it's the uh, southwest corner of Warren County, close to us, Yeah. between Centertown and, and Morrison, uh, is a strong Amish Mennonite community, and uh, very interesting. And the store itself is, is worth a visit. Part of the store is a deli, and they'll make you a, they'll custom make your sandwich. Mm. And uh, they give you a list of available ingredients, and uh, you can custom design your sandwich. And uh, it costs about the same as a uh, uh, McDonald's Big Mac. Uh, oh, that's cheap. Yeah, it's a good buy. Yeah. And uh, so we did that both both times. But I'd recommend it. Go past Woodbury up to the Centertown uh, Road. And then through Centertown, about halfway to Morrison's, a little community called Jacksboro. And you'll see uh, the carriages come and go and an incredible amount of local traffic. Uh, little uh, gravel parking lot. I counted about 20 cars every time we went hmm. went by there. Of course, we went by there three times and stopped each time to, <laughs> to get a little something else. Coffee, just a dollar a cup which is better than most of our quick convenience stores down this way. Yeah, but you keep getting cup after cup. It's all the same price. They don't charge you for extra cups. I guess. <laughs> well, tell me about the solar panels. 
because uh, that's a very interesting thing that. Uh, uh, well, that was some. They're they're enigmatic when you get right down to it as to what they accept and what they don't. I guess so, and I'm not sure how to distinguish, you know, one the Amish from the Mennonite or what have you. But that was what I would say something out of character with the rest of the area. We're driving through some very uh, clean, well-kept, neat uh, farms. Some look like small farms. Others are, you know, look like they're working several hundred acres. Mm-hmm. And you come up over a hill, and here's a vast field, farm field, more than just a pasture, but a lot of pasture, full of uh, high-tech-looking uh, solar panels. And uh, we learned that the farm next door was not the owner of the solar panels. So it be interesting to learn some more, uh, whether there's an entrepreneur there who's generating and selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, it's up on the plateau, very sunny, open area. Uh, but caught, caught us off guard because we were coming over the hill looking for carriages and looking for uh, the... Uh, devices on the farm. See, some of the farms don't use electricity, so they have uh, other sources of power, you uh, can imagine, mostly animals. Uh, But here's this big, high-tech electric generation field. Uh, Interesting. If you you wanted to see it, you again go through Centertown, down towards when you get to Jacksboro, which is on the old Shelbyville Road, you turn left, and it's just over the hill from there in that area. Isn't it amazing how they select the, the areas that they're going to build, and they're going to be a major part of it? It's, um, yeah, and I, I remember my uh, American history teacher said, that's the great thing about this country is all the different things that each ethnic group brings over here and, and makes it a part of our country. Well, uh, my impression... The Amish, the Mennonites are very community oriented mm-hmm. because you'll find that, you know, there must be several hundred uh, farms, different farm families in that one area, you know, all mm-hmm. centered around this location of the store. And uh, it laps over into Cannon County and into Coffee County out of the, mm-hmm. that area, but it's still, you can go to Amish country and uh, uh, all the families seem. You know, very close. I can see you adopting a, uh, that type of lifestyle over at your farm. Uh, I mean, uh, you do things different than most farmers do in this community. Well, we we consume a lot of diesel fuel and a lot of electricity, uh, which is something that at least some of those in the Amish community up there try to avoid. Mm-hmm. Well, is anything else interesting going on? <laughs> uh, I did get an interesting phone call a week or so ago that I have not followed up on, and I uh, can't share names, partly because I, I don't know all the names involved, but uh, also I hadn't had a chance to talk to the individual. But we had talked a couple of weeks ago about, uh, well, I think it was last week, we were talking about the 231 school, mm-hmm. and we discussed the names and how the... Uh, surnames of the kids back in the uh, mid-20th century uh, were all very familiar local names. And how back uh, following the Civil War, many of the freedmen, the former slaves, 
had taken, uh, didn't have surnames, and they took the names of the families that they had been in, uh, working for, working mm -hmm. with. And uh, I got a call about a very prominent local name out in Donald's Chapel. Don't think there are any lions, L-Y-O-N-S, living there now. But directly behind me is uh, East Lion Road. And then if you go around to the Murray Kittrell Road, there's a West Lion, L-Y-O-N Road. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of stories about the Lion family. Uh, well, the caller told me that uh, she was aware that a prominent, very successful educator in Rutherford County, uh, a uh, black educator, mm -hmm. had discovered a family connection with the Lyon family. And I don't know how uh, or what, but apparently she is a descendant of uh, the Lyon family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have since uh, checked, and there is a Lyon cemetery. In fact, it's very close to the back line of my property. Uh, so I want to plan to follow up on it, visit with the lady, and see if we can figure out you know, just what the connection is and how it works. But apparently they could be not only name similar, there could be some uh, common blood there. Which, is that off of Cripple Creek Road? Yeah. Well, one, the East Lion is off Cripple Creek Road. Yeah. West Lion is off Mary Kittrell Road. Mm -hmm. And they don't join. But, uh, and that probably be another interesting story. Uh, apparently the family, the Lion family, preserved uh, an area there without allowing crossing. So. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, you and I have not followed up also on the old walk-up mansion we found back in the woods uh, yeah. off of uh, Vault Road. So, but I think you could uh, find things equally interesting in almost any of our neighborhoods around the county. Uh, and uh, uh, as I said last week, as the uh, county historian, I feel like I need to explore but also the uh, the identity opens a lot of gates and doors so you can get in kind of see what used to be we were just driving around as i recall and uh just happened to come upon this this house and uh of course it was back where i think we were pretty much in a um it was a dead end street or it seemed like it was a dead end but it, it, it was like the, the the road had been a hundred years ago or more. Well, we found it. Uh, I, I went to some old maps, and indeed it did connect uh, over to the Cripple Creek Road uh, as a, what would you say, neighborhood road, mm -hmm. not an official road. And uh, if you go over on Cripple Creek side, you can find where it would have connected if it came through. Uh, and I learned that uh, the walk-up family, among others, uh, had their farm on mm -hmm. that part of the road. But you and I came to a, can't go any further on this road. Uh, but from the other end, we would have come close to that spot, but not quite. Doesn't quite connect. That's perfect for a historian like you. It seems like there there's still areas in Rutherford County, believe it or not, as much as it has grown. 
uh, it seems like some of this property has been untouched for 150 years or more. It's, it would seem that way when you see uh, an area of, of land that is so thick with growth that you can't even hardly walk through it. Uh, look at the size of the trees. Yeah. And sometimes it's a fairly easy guess that this is only about 20 or 30 years. It was probably pasture open, uh, even maybe cropland. And uh, the owner has elected not to do anything with it. And uh, it grows up pretty quick. So, uh, you know, in 25 or 30 years here, you can, you can grow up pretty thick. Yeah. Uh, and there are places, well, the house that you and I stumbled on, uh, probably we wouldn't have seen it at all if we were over there in the summertime when mm -hmm. the leaves were on the trees because it was thick around it. And uh, the second time I visited over there is when I met uh, the property owner. Mm -hmm. And uh, he invited me to, to come back properly dressed for stomping around an area like that. I kept waiting for the banjos to start playing, and I looked in my um, car to make sure I was, we were armed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Well, what did you, I can't help it. I'm sorry. Yeah, what did you do during the weekend? Anything historic? Not historic. Um, it was fun, though. Uh, um, Melanie, uh, Kim's um, uh, sister, uh, we, we had a birthday for her yesterday, mm -hmm. and um, we had a really good time. It was very interesting. The food was always good over at Jason's house. He and uh, Gidget both are, are great cooks. And I, I'm I'm still paying the price for eating all that uh, great food. It was just perfect. Uh, Melanie is is a uh, nurse over at the VA hospital, and uh, and and always enjoy uh, talking to her about you know the veterans and things like that. Well, I got a number of older veteran friends, and I was real pleased that uh, the veterans hospital over there. Uh, has made a real effort to provide this vaccine to veterans. That's good. Yeah, and every one of the, uh, I was with a handful of them on Thursday, last Thursday, and every one of them has had the first shot and has an appointment for the second. And uh, uh, we, we ought to at least do things like that for our veterans, and particularly those that have been around since the 1940s, the 1930s. Now, uh, I can't remember, uh, you had that virus, didn't you? Uh, I have antibodies which suggest I had it, but if I had it, or I must have had it, my, phys my physician says, we had no symptoms whatsoever. Which is a good thing. As far as I'm concerned, it is. I haven't, I haven't been sick in a couple of years now. Uh, but somehow or another, I've got the antibodies for the COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, talking about families and such uh, up in Halls Hill, where Moose is from, uh, there's a family name up there. I'm not sure there are any still there, but it goes all the way back. In fact, the beginning of the Halls Hill area is uh, the Wright family. And since oh, 2010, I have kept a file on a couple of the rights to uh, 
write something about them and have not because it's one of those subjects where it's very difficult to sort out the facts from the folklore and uh, some fascinating people in the family uh, but uh, I came oh yeah uh, Moose shared with me a very thick loose leaf binder that has been kept by a couple of people over time he's now the custodian mm-hmm. of history of Halls Hill and some of the Kittrell area close in there and thumbing through it it reminded me that uh, the Wright family is still a fascinating uh, I start to say mystery but we know a lot uh, but uh, what we know that's factual is of such a nature that it prompts a whole lot of other stories. Uh, but in any event, if you go back to Isaac... Are we printing the legend now? I try to do that occasionally, but make clear that this is folklore, uh-huh. and this is legend. Uh, and uh, I'll share some of it this morning. Uh, but you go back to the beginnings of Rutherford County, the beginnings of Tennessee, and one of the earliest uh, names that uh, comes up is Isaac Wright. Now it's already confusing because there, between over the last 200 years, there have been several other Isaac Wrights in the same family line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also know today that the Wright family descendants are uh, Lahue, uh, Stroop. Uh, Kerr, uh, in fact, uh, these you know, are all famous names. Yeah, Floyd. Yeah. Uh, names from from that area. Yeah, and almost all of them uh, are related to each other, and will indicate their uh, they relate back to the the rights. But uh, the first Isaac Wright uh, came into the county in 1786. That's 10 years before Tennessee existed Mm -hmm. and a good 15 to 20 years before Rutherford County was really established. Uh, One source says that he was not only a revolutionary veteran, but an officer serving directly under Washington and that he's a member of the Cincinnati Society. I can't verify any of that. Uh, What I do find, though, is that he bought a tract of land that was one of the revolutionary grants from a private named David uh, Passmore and got 365 acres, which is what a private would be allocated. Uh, I don't know what he paid for the land, but I do know that it's right in what's the Halls Hill community now Mm -hmm. and has been for, for many years. And that he smartly, in uh, 1803, bought another adjoining 423 acres, which uh, gave him close to 1,000, but not a big holding for that time. I mean, some of these grantees were getting thousands and thousands of acres. That's a lot to take care of back in those days. It is. Uh, And uh, uh, he bought the the second purchase from the Hans Hamilton estate. Now, Hans Hamilton was a surgeon uh, 
in the Revolutionary War, a military surgeon. Mm. And he uh, was uh, either killed or died early, but the family uh, came in this area. And uh, the Hamilton family were more land speculators and settlers, owned thousands and thousands of acres and started breaking it up and selling it off. And that's where uh, the first Isaac Wright uh, put together his track. And he built the original, it was originally called the Wright Mill. So he was in business up there. Uh, changed hands many times over 200 years. Uh, came to be called the Halls Hill, the Halls Mill, mm -hmm. uh, which is where the community got its name. Uh, but then, if we jump forward, and we have to, because it's it's very confusing in between. But if you come up to the 20th century, there are three rights that uh, are the source of many, many, many stories. There is Ed Wright and his two sons, Frank, who was a junior, actually it was Frank Ed, Edward Wright. Mm -hmm. And he had a son, Frank Jr., which I think was the youngest boy. And then he had a son named Enoch, E-N-O-C-H. Good biblical name. Yeah. And uh, Enoch in particular uh, is, prompts many, many stories. Uh, but Ed... We know he had, uh, well, in 1901, there was a tremendous flood, probably the biggest flood in in a period of history uh, in the county. And uh, Ed, uh, in one of his reports, said that six inches of rain fell in one hour, and that 10 inches of rain fell in the 24-hour period, wiped out everything. Uh, that was along the rivers and the creeks. Mm -hmm. uh, the mills and such were knocked down. And Ed rebuilt himself with uh, his son's help. A mill on what I would say on Cripple Creek, near the mouth of the creek, but there was a spot where a branch ran into the creek. And that came to be known as Wright's Branch. And he built his mill, built a mill there. And by the 19th... Is that the same creek that's there now? Cripple Creek? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure the, the branch is still uh, where you could find it. Yeah, okay. But, uh, and it's upstream from the mouth of the creek on the East Fork. Mm -hmm. uh, and if anybody out there is a Halls Hill native, please call in and correct me because uh, it's a complex set of facts. Now, if they, if their names are wrong, we we don't want them to call. No, yeah, don't. Two two wrongs will not make a right. Yeah, but we'll get to the point where we talk about the legends. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> all right. And uh, we'll we'll see where it goes. But anyway, mm -hmm. Ed, sometime in the 1920s, rebuilt the mill, and he did it all himself with his sons helping, and he installed a modern turbine. He rebuilt the uh, dam and the uh, mill race, we call it, mm -hmm. set stones for a foundation, built the housing, and put in, I think, six different uh, PowerPoints where he could do six different types of milling and such at one time. And also, apparently somehow contracted with the federal government, the Weather Bureau, and he was our local 
for that part of the county uh, contact reporter to the weather bureau <clears throat> and he kept track of the rainfall temperatures and things of that sort <clears throat> and would report that to the weather bureau so uh, by the 30s and 40s he had uh, gotten the uh, sobriquet as uh, the sage of Cripple Creek or the sage of Halls Hill mm -hmm. and would forecast the weather he was interviewed, I think, in uh, the 30s, and uh, the uh, newspaper was trying to talk about the uh, superstitions and such, and he disavowed that. He says, "Don't, don't talk about the groundhog. You know, look at the weather patterns. Look at the." And he says, "You can smell weather long before you can rely on groundhogs and things like that." Uh, he, in his later years, was not working anymore for the Weather Bureau directly, but continuing to use the science he had learned and developed there, uh, plus what he called smelling the weather. Uh, he still was relied upon for long-term forecasts such as that. Mm. Uh, he must have had allergies. He might have, yeah. because that'll tell you real quick yeah. when things are changing. Uh, his son, well, and in doing the work at the mill, he added a uh, electric generation. So he was generating, according to some of the sources, he was generating electricity for his own use before TVA was even created. Hmm. And while Tennessee Electric Power was still struggling trying to extend their lines. Uh, and he, with his son Enoch's help, and I've seen places where each one of them takes the credit. But they put uh, lights up and down the creek, you know, more as decorative than anything else, but at mm -hmm. night they'd light up, you know, using their own electric power, and they used their uh, dynamo power to power some of the equipment in the mill. Uh, but they put these lights down the creek and would light up the creek, and uh, they got visited by some of the people from the airport, and that's probably Sky Harbor if it was back during the 30s, who said, uh, could you please change the color of the lights, maybe put red lights? Hmm. Uh, you're confusing air traffic. Wow. Because the string of lights looked like a runway, and back mm -hmm. in those days, that's you know about what we had in the 30s. Uh, and uh, Papa Wright, Ed Wright, didn't like the idea of red lights. So they just turned the lights off to accommodate the air travel. Uh, but then Enoch comes along and uh, learning from his father, uh, became quite adept in uh, uh, electrical work. Mm -hmm. And one story is that he enrolled, uh, well, he went into the military and apparently did the, that kind of work in the military. He traveled out west and worked as a cowboy and such in uh, Canada and the far west, but then came back here and at one point enrolled in the college here, what's now Middle Tennessee, uh, MTSU, uh, to major in a electric engineering electricity. And the story, the folklore is that after uh, a month or so in the class, the instructor sat down with him and said, uh, Mr. Wright, 
you're wasting your time here. You are so far ahead of anything that we teach here mm-hmm. that you're wasting your time. And uh, Enoch apparently <laughs> took the advice, dropped out of school, and uh, began uh, working anywhere anybody needed anything in connection with uh, electricity. And, uh, you know, this is a time the Rutherford County was electrified or classed as electrified not until, what, early 50s, 1950s. Yeah. And what Enoch was doing apparently was uh, reacting to his neighbor's need and, and doing the wiring and such. Uh, one story is that uh, a family, well, I found one reference to where somebody asked him, says, how did you learn so much about electricity? And his answer was, well, I read Mechanics Illustrated a magazine. Uh, I think what behind the answer is he's self-educated and he was a reader and mm-hmm. studied and devoured anything he could find about the science and the engineering of elect- uh, electricity, the use of electricity. Uh, one story is that uh, when the GE plant was trying to come online, they had a problem and couldn't couldn't get everything working. And somebody said, well, there's this guy out in Halls Hill. Why don't you give him a call? So they made contact with him, probably the telephone at the Halls Hill store, and described the problem. And he kind of, hmm, hmm, and then suggested that they do something in particular. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Brought him online. So he was able to do on the telephone what their staff electricians weren't able to figure out on site. I'm surprised someone didn't get a hold of him. And well, and he started his, could have started his own uh, company. I find several places where um, Harris, Florida, mm-hmm. if you're listening Harris, call in. Uh, described him as probably the most knowledgeable uh, electrician in this part of the country. Mm-hmm. And Harris at the time was working for the uh, electric co-op, which came in in the late 30s. Yeah. Uh, other stories uh, on his electrical skill uh, family called him and they had bought a brand new washing machine their first mm-hmm. electric but of course the house wasn't wired for the connection so they asked him are we still in the 30s no this was a little bit later probably early 50s now. oh wow uh, asked him if he would and he said yeah so they went it might have been Sunday morning because the whole family left to go somewhere and just left him to get things working. Mm -hmm. When they came back, the washing machine was not working. In fact, the washing machine had been completely torn down and the parts spread out on the floor in the room and Enoch is sitting there fiddling with it. (laughs) What in the world is going on? And Enoch said, well, I want to see how it worked. Oh. And my kind of guy. Yeah, eventually he put it all back together and got it in service for him. Uh, but he had, uh, beyond his electrical, being an electric genius, he had a uh, bit of a curious lifestyle. His father died in 1948, and Enoch moved into the mill if he wasn't already there. And uh, uh, apparently never change clothes or look different. Whether he had several outfits the same, I don't know, but uh, he would bathe once or 
twice a month in the creek. He'd go into the creek with a bar of soap, and uh, if it was the dead of winter, it didn't matter. If he felt like it was time, he'd get in the creek, soap up. Uh, and he's described as an incredibly strong swimmer. Hmm. And uh, they talk about, uh, I found stories about him doing rescues. One that is hard to believe is some fishermen were trying to go upstream, and they could not move the boat because of the strong current coming down. And uh, he either volunteered or was uh, recruited, and he swam pulling the boat upstream uh, against the current. We're getting into legends now. Yeah, yeah we sure are. And uh, his, uh, he lived in the mill, and part of the mill, of course, was out over the water. Uh, and he had a lot of animals, but he, of course, had chickens. And he built chicken boxes where they would nest at night under the mill mm -hmm. and he cut a hole in the floor so in the morning he could lift out a board and reach down and get his eggs for the morning talk about fresh eggs uh, he also had a whole couple of holes in the floor and he had drop a fishing line through there and bait it up and so he always had you know his fresh fish self-sufficient uh, that's an amazing story well, it go. Uh, I enjoy sitting down. I'm surprised my mom didn't, and dad didn't read me that story when I was a kid. Well, uh, I need to sit down with the Kerr and the Stroop and Leahy and just ask, give me your best story, whether you can prove it or not, on Enoch, and let's see what we can get together. Uh, Kerr had that store out there, didn't he? Well, the, one of them did. Yeah, the, uh, Jimmy Kerr's daddy. I remember we yeah. talked about. Uh, Spiker, it was his father. Yeah. And I think that's Jimmy's father as well. Let's take a quick break. All you want right. to? All right. Okay. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Rapid COVID testing now in Murfreesboro. Do you need a rapid COVID test? Low T Center in Murfreesboro now has drive-through rapid COVID testing on Mondays, all day, 8.30 until 5.30, every Monday through February 22nd. No appointments necessary and it's only $60 with the results back in less than 30 minutes. COVID testing is available for all adults, men and women 18 and older. Low T Center, near the Avenue at 2855 Medical Center Parkway, across the street from Rooms to Go. See you Monday at Low T Center. Small businesses in the historic downtown of Murfreesboro are the heartbeat of your neighborhood, the spine of your local economy, and the spirit of your town. This is Sarah Callender, and it takes a village to keep our downtown strong and vibrant. Make a choice in 2021 to eat at, shop in, visit, and do business with the locally owned small businesses in historic downtown Murfreesboro. Do business with your neighbors in 2021. Come downtown for unique shopping, unique gifts, and unique experiences. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at budstirepros.tn.com. 
This is Lisa Halliburton at Bell Jewelers. Pandora will have new Valentine charms. We're gonna be doing free gifts. If you just spend $99 or more, you're gonna get a gift card to Murfreesboro Flower Shop for beautiful flowers, a gift card to Steakhouse Five or Five Senses, and also a spa gift card to Nurture Nook Spa. Bell Jewelers. 821 Northwest Broad Street, across from Toots. Take a moment and rate your lifestyle on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is a life that's nothing like the life you were promised after getting good grades, a college degree, and a good job in corporate America. 10 is the life of your dreams. If you answered anything less than a 10, tune into the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell's self-made millionaire and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited will show you how to live the life of your dreams and pay for it with passive income. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show, Monday through Saturday, 11 to noon right here on news radio wgns now an update from the wgnsradio.com news center i'm ron jordan door-to-door salespeople in laverne are now required to get a permit before knocking city officials say a new no-knock ordinance approved last november was officially implemented on friday the ordinance is in effect for any resident who displays a no solicitation sticker or sign on their property. Companies who wish to visit homes to sell their products can only do so by applying for a $250 permit at a $75 ID badge for each salesperson. Rutherford County Fire and Rescue dispatched to a truck fire on J.D. Todd Road last week. When they got there, the vehicle was totally engulfed in flames. In fact, the engine compartment was so intense, the temperatures destroyed the truck's body and the motor fell out onto the roadway. Nobody was hurt. Officials say weekend fire at the Red Pony Restaurant in downtown Franklin is estimated to have caused about $300,000 worth of damage. A storage area, a back patio, and walk-in coolers were all scorched, but most of the building's interior and original historic portion are in good shape. Firefighters responded to a call about 4 o'clock Saturday morning and found the rear of the building engulfed in flames. Investigators still working on what caused the fire. That Tennessee man facing charges for his alleged role in unrest at the U.S. Capitol won't be released on Monday as previously expected. A federal judge ruled that Eric Munchell will be taken instead to Washington, D.C. He's charged with knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority, as well as violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. He's expected to be tried in both the Middle Tennessee District and the District of Columbia courts. News on demand 24-7 from our website, WGNSRadio.com. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Rapid COVID testing now in Murfreesboro. Do you need a rapid COVID test? Low T Center in Murfreesboro now has drive through rapid COVID testing on Mondays, all day, 8.30 until 5.30, every Monday through February 22nd. No appointments necessary and it's only $60 with the results back in less than 30 minutes. COVID testing is available for all adults, men and women 18 and older. Low T Center, near the Avenue at 2855 Medical Center Parkway, across the street from Rooms to Go. See you Monday at Low T Center. Why move into a new house and, and leave a home that you already have memories with? Farrah Construction had already done the bathroom. Then we decided to move a wall or two and redo the playroom. If you can dream it, we can turn it into reality. And they did. The best investment in enjoyment that we ever made. We're family here at Farrah Construction. We care about you. This is Ron Hall with Farrah Construction. Call 615 893 
1-800-273-6120. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. We'll see a few scattered showers and thunderstorms here for this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions high in the upper 60s. Southwest winds of 15 to 20 and gusting as high as 30. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 54. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes. For Premier Six Theater, they're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back to Greg Tucker. You know, Greg, I think one of the more fascinating things about you is that people enjoy sharing their history with you. And that's not always uh, um, going to be open for a lot of people. Well, I think um, most anybody, particularly someone who's got some years on them, enjoys someone who listens. Yeah. And if I go visit with... Uh, a 94-year-old fella, and I'm telling him things, he's pretty quickly bored with it. Mm-hmm. But if I ask questions and get him talking about what he remembers, what he did, what he heard, uh, we both have a good time. And uh, some of the nicest things that people have said to me was, well, I sure appreciate you coming by. You made my day. Yeah. And all I did was listen. Well, think about it. And in our generation, a lot of the older people, they've just been shut out as far as being able to communicate to younger people. Well, and, and, and they're making a mistake by not listening. They really are. That was some of the most enjoyable times of my life is listening to my grandparents and great-grandparents sharing a lot of the history with the family and what went on in a particular area of the county. That was pretty special for me. Well, we were talking about Enoch Wright, and uh, Enoch never married, so he doesn't have any children that you can talk to, but he's got an awful lot of cousins uh, and a few uh, nieces and nephews still around, so hopefully we can gather a few more stories on, on Enoch. But he had a younger brother, and his younger brother had more of a conventional uh, uh, life, I think. He married, had children. I believe one of his boys I met named Newton. Uh, but Frank also, in fact, I have written about Frank because uh, he was a clever uh, in the sense of uh, survival during the Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one, he nicknamed himself Tennessee Kid. <laughs> yeah. And he and a buddy, Ellis Floyd, uh, were aware that there was an old car body uh, remnant in the creek and they drug it up out of the creek and it was a Cadillac, earliest Cadillac one cylinder called them the poppers or the the one longer and uh, they put it back together and uh, cannibalized probably some farm equipment and uh, set up a, a box to sit on 
and got it running and uh, drove into Murfreesboro and it attracted so much attention, partly because of the curious sound it makes, that one cylinder popping. Mm -hmm. And uh, he decided, I got the idea, I can drive this town to town and maybe uh, make some deals. Maybe somebody will buy it, but if not, maybe we can make some money on it. And, uh, but shrewd uh, as he was, he went to the Rutherford Courier and said, I'm going to drive this car all the way across the United States, but if you will uh, help me with the gas and uh, you know, a little spending money, mm -hmm. I'll write you every week a detailed description of where we are, what we've done, what we've seen. Send it back to you. And because of this, I was able to reconstruct uh, their trip. Mm -hmm. And they did. They went all the way across the South, encountering all kinds of uh, characters and circumstances down through Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. How they survived across the desert is is fascinating. Uh, made it all the way to California, and one of their most productive was to go to the, the movie theater. Mm -hmm. and find out what movies were going to be playing, and they'd make a, a poster marquee and mount it on the side of the vehicle and drive around town. Now, were they in Hollywood at that time? They were stopping at towns all along the way. Okay. And uh, they would go to the local theater and make a deal with the fellow, we'll promote your next movie, you know, and they would do that for a while. They also did it for restaurants and other operations. Mm -hmm. uh, when they came into Arizona uh, across a rough stretch, and they stopped at a, a ranch there and made friends with the owner, spent a day or two with him resupplying their water and such, and as they were about to leave, he says, you guys got a gun. I said, no, we're not carrying any guns. He says, I'm going to give you a gun because you ought not be out here without some kind of gun, firearm. Mm -hmm. And uh, they gave him a rifle of some kind that they carried. Uh, when they did get into California, yeah, they went to Hollywood, and I've got a picture of Ellis Floyd, Frank Wright, their old car, and Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> and Laurel and Hardy are looking like they're inspecting the car, going over it, you know, interested in, in the car. That's got to have ended up in a movie somewhere, sometime. I think they, uh, well, they, I know they did one with Buster Keaton. Mm -hmm. And uh, the nice thing for them was the movie studio would redo the car to make it look a little more like a car mm -hmm. instead of just a frame with an engine on it. Uh, interesting the way he started it. It had a flywheel. It had to have a flywheel because it was just one cylinder. Yeah. And he would get up, open the gas line, and push that flywheel with his hand and get it spinning, and that would start the engine. And uh, he went up into the northwest, got into some real trouble with the weather up there and the snows and the ice. Mm. Uh, Floyd decided he wanted to go back home after California, seeing how, how rough things were, I guess. And I think he also had a girlfriend he was missing. Uh, yeah, that would have been it. Yeah, and he hitched hike back. And Ellis and his wife, uh, I think, operated the uh, the old Wright Mill, if not the Halls Hill Mill, mm -hmm. for, a, for a period there. Uh, now, but, what, 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 what part of, what, what was the year that we're talking about right now? The roughest part of the Depression. 
Oh my! And see, that's uh, in the what latter 30s, I would say. Mid 30s, Frank yeah. and Alice had both lost their job. Yeah. Things had been shutting down, so this was the way they were going to sustain themselves. But Frank had the idea, and he picked up other people along the way as uh, sidekicks, so to speak. A couple of interesting ones there. Uh, encountered gypsies and just you know, all kinds of things. Um, but he went to Detroit. He looped all the way back up through the Northwest and went to Detroit because he thought maybe Henry Ford mm. would be interested in this car. The reason being Henry worked for Cadillac in his earliest uh, career, and he designed this particular car. At least that's what Frank understood. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the Ford plant, the big operations there in Detroit, and asked to see Mr. Ford. Uh and uh, indicated what he had. Well, Henry Ford came out and met him and looked over the car and talked about what uh, Frank had been doing, driving around the country. And uh, Frank uh, tried to get him to buy the car, you know, part of the museum collection or something. Mm -hmm. And Henry, Henry wasn't interested in buying the car, but he said, your rear end's about gone. He oh, gave wow. him a new rear end, or at least a rebuilt rear end, to go in the car. So he helped put the car in shape. After visiting with uh, the Ford people, uh, Frank, somebody told Frank about car show out in Nevada. And he drove all the way back out to Nevada and then encountered some uh, scam artists, particularly young women. And uh, <laughs> he comments on that in one of his articles he wrote and sent back. Finally, the Tennessee kid comes back, a lot of fanfare, went in, drove back to Halls Hill, and uh, Robert Stroop and some others remember when he came over the hill, and there was it was like welcoming home a hero. Oh, wow. He had made it all the way, and there was the, the whole neighborhood turned out. And, of course, you can hear the thing coming a couple of miles away. Mm-hmm. The excitement would increase, you know, as he came over the hill. Uh, after that, <laughs> he did begin to make a little bit of money off of it because now he's the Tennessee kid and famous driver around the country and he started doing uh, uh, parades and such to <laughs> doing parades in uh, around the southeast and we've got pictures of the car all dressed up leading a parade of old cars or something down in Mississippi Alabama Area. Now, did some of this story come from Robert Stroop himself? Only the latter part. Robert's too young to remember the in detail the, the 30s, but uh, Robert was born in 1927, and he told a cute story. He went to sign up for his in, 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 uh, vaccination, and the young lady asked, and uh, what year were you born? And he said, well... February such and such, 1927. And she wrote down February such and such, 1947. He says, no, not 47. I said, 27. Really? (laughs) I can understand her being uh, kind of amazed. Because he still doesn't look his age. He doesn't look my age uh, in any event. Uh, If you are really interested in the Tennessee Kids story, we have written that one. It's in my first book. And it's got about four or five, I forget how many, four or five chapters. And we actually ran down his, found his son living in Manchester, now deceased. And he had the car 
which was little more than a pile of metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we went and took some pictures of the old car, and I took Ralph Puckett down there with me. And Ralph looked at it and said, I think I can get it started. <laughs> but Newton wasn't interested in uh, it changing anything about it. He left it sitting. I guess it's still sitting there in his backyard. Isn't it funny how people are born with that ability and, and able to do things that we, we don't even consider possible? I mean, I, Bud Mitchell is one of those. If he had grown up in that time, he would have been one of those, like the Wrights. It, it's, um, I, I, I'm constantly fascinated. I guess those of us that don't have that particular gift, it does make a difference. So. Well, and when you, as Enoch describes, you have that consuming interest and you start reading and listening and learning just everything you can, uh, you're going to get there. Well, I got this little message of Mary Woodard. Lots of background noise, but a great show. See, I just started listening to the... Where's that conversation coming from? I don't know. Uh, let me acknowledge a former president of the Rutherford County Historic Society. We have a live audience of one. I see her over there. Joyce Johnson is yes. sitting and listening. I appreciate that. She she she's got the prettiest little face, doesn't she? She just she's just special. Okay. <laughs> you're, you you're not going to respond, are you? Oh uh, well. She's a delightful lady. She is a very delightful lady. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Now, what else were you going to say? No, I'm through. It's your turn. It, it, it's so easy to cut you off because there are certain things that you're not going to respond to, and I just absolutely love it. Okay. What time is it? Oh, we still got three or four more minutes. Oh. Um, there was something that I was going to ask you, and, and it's just gone completely out of my head because I was so fascinated by that Wright story. And I've got the book at home. I've just got to pull it out. My kids have redone all of my uh, uh, literature, so I've got to be able to find it. But every one of your books were fascinating. I mean, they really are. But when I l- sit here and listen to you tell the story, it makes it even more special, and um, that, that's a big thing for me. Uh, I have to go back. We're talking about the first book. I have to go back and read some of it occasionally because uh, the things do get dusty. Uh, and uh, re- reread it. In fact, I told a couple of my nephews who are into motion picture business, I said you ought to you ought to look, read this Tennessee kid story yeah. about the uh, and uh, I think it make at least a made for TV movie out of it and uh, given the uh, uh, freedom to exaggerate that movie makers have could be a real good story. What what particular uh, date and time are you, are it is more enjoyable than than the others? Uh, as you go further back, or maybe maybe as you get into the late 1800s and into the 1900s, when things were starting to to change drastically. Well, in terms of local history, and we've we've said this before, uh, the 
1920s, 1930s, 1940s in Rutherford County mm -hmm. are most entertaining or uh, interesting for me uh, because it's the period of, you know, my parents were growing up, my grandparents mm -hmm. were in uh, business active. Uh, so I have heard stories about that period, the Depression, the war, mm. uh, the uh, uh, Roaring Twenties, and uh, yeah, I find that area of that fascinating. But others, the Civil War period fascinates many, and it is interesting. The uh, sometimes called the Victorian Age, the uh, 1890s, 1900s, mm -hmm. we've written about that several times and the, the uh, cultural uh, uh, status and the relationship of the races in that period is very interesting mm -hmm. and uh, in some ways the good old days in some ways it was a very difficult time yeah uh, but it's it's interesting and there's still quite a bit of first-hand uh, and there always will be first-hand information written by people who are keeping diaries or uh, uh, news clippings and such from that era. Now here, news clippings are difficult because nothing was preserved in any kind of quantity up until about 1930, 1931, when the uh, Daily News, Murfreesboro Daily News was purchased by A.L. Todd and merged with the home journal. Mm -hmm. Then they started keeping complete files. And uh, it's a good resource if you remember. It's not reliable. You get your start from a news item and then you've got to, got to go into the real records from there. Uh, but the newspapers that existed before that time, like the home journal, mm -hmm. uh, there are pieces here and there I've got some copies and some uh, reprints, uh, but there's not a file you can go to and really research from that period uh, in the newspapers. Some of the better sources are the uh, yearbooks of uh, the Tennessee College mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, normal school, the high school. They start about 1918, and you get... Uh, or during the 19-teens, and you can get a lot of information out of the yearbooks, even though they're written about the school itself. There's always an advertising section, and sometimes page after page after page that will help you understand the, the commercial history of the community. And uh, you see names uh, over and over that, that tell you quite a bit, too. Mm -hmm. Why were, you, were we so far behind say, uh, the press in, in, the, uh, in, in the New York or New England area? Was it um, simply because they had more technical advancements, or what was it? I'm not sure I could do any more than guess. Uh, of course, they go further back, and apparently there was more sensitivity in some of the big city papers about preserving you know, files yeah. of, of the papers. Uh, the Rutherford Courier file is fairly complete. The Daily News Journal is fairly complete. But both of those come from the early 30s. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know, and I've written about uh, how uh, 
the Beasley family did the first daily newspaper in Rutherford County uh, in the 20s, 1920s. Mm-hmm. And uh, the young Beasley, who was actually doing the work, spending his daddy's money. His daddy was a banker, prominent banker in the community. They got hit real hard by the crash. Yeah. And uh, literally wiped them out. And uh, A.L. Todd, who prospered during all that period, even into the Depression, uh, bought them out. And he already owned the home journal. So combined the papers there. And at that point, somebody, perhaps Todd himself, uh, said, you know, we're going to keep a file of everything that's written in the paper. Mm-hmm. So uh, that still exists. Well, yeah, I remember, and, and of course you do too, uh, my dad would couldn't wait for the newspapers to come, and they would deliver them back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the, uh, the <coughs> Tennessean and the Banner were supposedly very competitive during that time. And they 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 did something that you don't see anymore. Uh, they would print both. Uh, of course, the Banner was was very conservative, and and the Tennessean was just the opposite. And, and uh, they they when you look at it, they fed off of each other. And and, and now it, it seems like it's a one-way street. Mm-hmm. And uh, people, um, I think that's that's one of those lost things that that I still miss. Well, in uh, our hometown here, in the 30s, the two papers were very competitive. Mm-hmm. The Rutherford Courier, uh, not originally, but uh, by the mid-30s, was taken over and owned by the Bragg family, Minor Bragg. Mm-hmm. And he came out only twice a week, but he timed it Tuesday and Friday uh, so as to give the best opportunity to get the advertising looking into the weekend and into the half day on Wednesday when a lot of people show yeah. Very good businessman. But uh, you can find instances where one paper takes one political view and the other just aggressively the other way. Uh, there's a classic uh, fight out at the university in that period when uh, the head of the agriculture department with backing from... Uh, one of the newspapers uh, tried to take over and mm. unseat the president, uh, whose name was Lyons, yeah. P.A. Lyons. And uh, clearly it was line up with one paper, Bragg and others, and the line up with the other paper. And uh, that's another real good story because he failed. It was Knox Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. He failed and immediately got fired, and uh, but he had some political connections, and eventually uh, he got elected to the state legislature, yeah. and he put in one or two bills. One was uh, to establish the colored fair here in Rutherford County as the state colored fair. Mm. The other one said that nobody can uh, uh, be in the faculty of a state institution unless they have a four-year college degree. So he essentially fired the man who fired him. <laughs> and when uh, Harry S. Truman called to invite him to be Deputy Secretary of Agriculture, he says, I just want to meet the man who fired the man who fired him. Uh, another great story. I love that story. <coughs> well, I guess we'd better take off. 
We're over time. We're now. over time. But uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I look forward to next Monday. It's always a treat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the morning at night. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.